Good morning, Macedonia. How you all doing today? Uh, before I get to anything else, I have to have a few matters of protocol that I have to address. First and foremost, we have to thank God for allowing me to be here, for allowing you to be here, and for allowing us to be here together intertwined in this moment for the rest of eternity. I also have to thank my home pastor, the Reverend Doctor, the newly minted Reverend Doctor, uh, Prince Rainy Rivers III, uh, for uh, not only uh, granting me uh, the title and the office of minister of the gospel, but also for giving me the freedom and the liberty to be here to worship with you today. I also have to thank Pastor Kevin Johnson. I would be remiss if I did not thank the man who, uh, in his absence, started not robbery to trust me enough with his congregation, with his people, with his space, and with his pulpit. Uh, Pastor Kevin Johnson and I have been co-laborers in the field of ministry for a little over two years now. I'm thankful to him. He is my brother and he is my friend. Uh, so if you're watching, thank you. Uh, and I'd like to thank all of you for being here with me today, just as I would like to thank everyone who is worshiping with us online, though we may be in separate locations. We understand that we are all worshiping with the God of all places and all time. Pray with me. Gracious God, please, in the midst of my human weaknesses, frailties, incompetencies, failings, and uncertainties, help me to preach this thing like I feel it in my spirit, in the marrow of my bones, and deep down in the depths of my soul, Lord pray that you would be glorified in this message. I pray that when it's all said and done, that by the end, it would make someone ask either for the first time or for the, the umpteenth time, what must I do to be saved? It is this we pray in your mighty name. Amen. Before I get into our scripture reading today, um, I have a bit of a confession of sorts. I am not normally one to be nervous when preaching. Uh, my, uh, my sister and brother-in-law are here today, uh, and they will tell you that it is very few and far between other times that, I'm, that I lack confidence in anything. Um, but today, I am deeply, deeply uh, frightened and approach the pulpit with much trepidation. Not because preaching itself is so difficult, but because on this particular day, it is particularly difficult for me. I am, if you had not noticed, a black man. And uh, most of you are white. And it should not matter in the grand scheme of things. But in this world that we live in more often than not, it does. And we are celebrating, we are commemorating this 4th of July, this Independence Day. And historically, I understand that people that look like me and people that look like many of you have had different understandings of what today looks like, what today feels like, and what today means. And I say that not from the point of passing judgment or bestowing shame upon anyone so much as I understand and I have sat with as I've prepared this word the tension of not only the biblical passage but the tension of this moment today 
And I want to invite all of us to step into it together with joy, with grace, with love, but also with honesty and transparency. Please worship with me. Our biblical sermon comes from Exodus chapter 3, round about the 6th through the 10th verses. And though this is a, I'm sure, a very familiar passage of text for anyone who spent any appreciable amount of time in church throughout their life, I would like to read it again, and my prayer is that we can all listen with fresh ears. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I'd like to read that verse one more time, verse seven, if you're still with me. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. One more time, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Uh, saints, for the time that is ours to share together, hopefully it won't be too long. I would like to preach, teach, speak from the thought, from the thought, what to the slave is the 4th of July? Oh, well, this doesn't move like I thought it was going to move. Nevertheless, we are here. So... I, when speaking with some of my friends and colleagues in ministry, told them what my sermon title was going to be today. And many of them, coming from a good place, uh, were reticent to uh, encourage me to maybe choose a different title, maybe choose a different word, maybe choose a different passage. They said, you're going to this church with these people and you're going to say this on this day in particular. And I would be lying if I said that the thought didn't cross my mind. But one, I know who your pastor is. And I know day in and day out how he walks with you all and how you all walk with him. And I would not insult, I would not insult the work that he has already done and continues to do in this place through God by thinking that little of him. I would not insult you all as if we do not pray to the same God as, we, as though we do not go about 
life in many of the same ways, and I would not insult you to think that God somehow, in the presence of what I am saying and the distance between my mouth and your ears, cannot do miraculous things. And I will not insult the God of all creation, who turns hearts, minds, and spirits, and just as he speaks to me, I know he also speaks to you. But I've been thinking a lot about freedom this week. And all of us have very different understandings of what freedom means, I suppose. For many people, freedom is simply the ability to move. For some, freedom is the absence of restriction. Um, and I submit that when God first created Adam and Eve, God had an idea of what freedom meant. I submit that when Thomas Jefferson signed the Declaration of Independence, I have an idea that he had an understanding of what freedom meant. I have an idea that when Frederick Douglass wrote and orated the sermon, the sermon that I am now referencing, what is the 4th of July to the slave, and he said, there is no man under the canopy of heaven that believes slavery is right for him. I have an idea that he had an understanding of what freedom meant. When I think of Abraham Lincoln, when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation into law, and he said, very few, mo paraphrasing, very few moments in my life have I ever been more certain that I was doing the right thing. If any moment in my history is to be remembered, may it be this moment. And may, and may people understand that of this thing, I know that I am doing right, and my whole soul is in it. He had an idea of what freedom meant in that moment. Harriet Tubman had an idea of what freedom meant when she said, give me liberty or give me death. And I understood that if I could not have one, that I was certain to have the other. I imagine that in Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, speech, which actually comes from the prayer of Prathia Hall, which under the encouragement of Mahalia Jackson, he said that I have a dream. I imagine that that dream was rooted in some idea of what freedom meant. In John Milton's classic Paradise Lost, he says the mind is its own place. It can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. I imagine he had an idea of what freedom meant. And just like you and I, who have our own ideas of what freedom does and does not mean, more often than not, they are rooted in our experiences in this life. Our experiences of times that we have felt free and times where we have felt like freedom has eluded us. Though I dare not trivialize the experience of the enslaved people to equality with the basic struggles of our day-to-day -day lives, however significant they may be to us. I think it is true in the Christian life, as Paul says, that we all experience a thorn of sorts, a thing that we go through the entirety of our lives battling with, at times feeling free of only for it to resurface in our lives at a different moment under distress or under grief or under the stress of the lived experience that we are steeped in. Might I submit to you all that though all of us have not experienced slavery, 
all of us have an idea of what it feels like to be bound by something. Your thorn may not be my thorn, but, but beloved, we all have a thorn. And it is in this moment that I submit that freedom in our understanding is oftentimes rooted in not only what we feel like it means to be free, but also what it has felt like it meant for us to feel bound. As I was walking through the text earlier this, uh, earlier this week as I was preparing, I was listening to the oration of uh, Frederick Douglass. What, is, what to the slave is the 4th of July is a speech that he gave on July 5th, round about 1863. Emancipation has not yet come for people. Slavery is still very much legal and very much real. And Frederick Douglass is a man who is asked to give a uh, speech on the significance of the 4th of July to him. And on July 5th, he does so in a very uh, honest and transparent way. He speaks to the idea that the America that he lives in and the America that the people who have asked him to speak live in, between the two could not be a wider possible difference. In fact, if I can step through the annals of time, I'd like to think that he was channeling the spirit of Dr. Martin Luther King when Dr. King gave a speech entitled The Other America, where he speaks to the fact that there is an America that many people live in where they enjoy life's privileges and they enjoy life's niceties and certainties and they enjoy life's liberties and freedoms. But that America is contrary to the America that he himself lives in that American Indians live in, that other black people live in, that other oppressed and displaced people live in. And in this text today, I like to think that though we are very much taught traditionally that this sermon, that this text is about God simply taking the children of Israel out of Egypt so that God could further the lineage of the people of God, in essence, the 42 generations that Jesus Christ came down to, that this is the telling of that story. But I'd like to submit to you today that there is something much deeper happening in the text. I'd like to submit to you all today that this particular text, just like Dr. Frederick Douglass's words, just like Dr. Martin Luther King's words, is about our perception of the world around us and how that perception may or may not match the perceptions of the people who are around us. We see in the biblical text that God reaches out to Moses through the burning bush. He calls Moses by name and he gives Moses the task. He tells Moses that it is Moses' duty at this, from this point forward to go forward and proclaim liberty to his people who are captive in Egypt. And might, I understand, might I submit to you all today, beloved, that God in this particular passage of text is telling us something about God's very own character. God is teaching us that God, God's self, is rooted, is fundamentally bound up, wrapped up, entangled up in the idea of freedom. I know when we think of God, oftentimes we think of love and justice and mercy and all of these other things that have come to be, over the course of the Christian history, have come to be inextricably tied to the faith. 
But might I submit to you all today that God in this particular moment is trying to teach us something about freedom. When God created Adam and Eve, one of the first tenets of their creation was the understanding that they were free beings, that they had the power to do, to not do, to move, to not move, to stand still, to not stand still, to take of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil or not to. They had the ability to be autonomous in and of themselves. And I like to think that through this text, we are seeing that God, before love is even on the table, before justice is even on the table, before mercy is even on the table, freedom is on the table. Freedom is part of the character of the God that we serve. And if freedom is part of the character of the God that we serve, by extension, as we read in the text, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So wherever people are experiencing a lack of freedom, the, crim the criminal act of that in the Christian life, the criminal act of any form of enslavement, of bondage, is that we are undoubtedly stripping a person of their greatest ability to be able to fellowship and commune with God. The criminality of slavery dug way deeper than simply putting people in chains and subjecting them to all matters of human atrocity. Through that experience, there was an attempt to strip people of their relationship with God. And might I submit to us all today that while we are not the progenitors of physical slavery upon other people in this world, I'd like to, for us to think about the idea that maybe, just maybe, we are complicit in a world, in systems, that keep other people from experiencing freedom at the highest level possible for them that God designed and orchestrated for them. God is about the business of freedom, period. But to take things a step further, multiple times throughout this particular passage of scripture, we see God refer to the children of Israel, the Israelites, as my people. And undoubtedly, that is not unfamiliar to anyone who sits here who has read any portion of text in the Old Testament. The Israelites are the chosen people of God for that particular moment in time as far as this rendition of storytelling is told. But might I submit that there is always another narrative. And I think on Independence Day of all days, we sit and we think of ourselves being free from the chokehold of British slavery, or to be, I guess, British subjection is a much more appropriate word. We think of the freedom that our forefathers and foremothers and ancestors felt on this particular day in 1776, and we look back upon it fondly because we understand that they were able to take back their own liberty, that they were able to free themselves at the hands of oppressors who were not committed to seeing them free. And in this moment, we must also be mindful that though we experience ourselves in the reading of this scriptural passage as that of the Israelites, beloved, I am sad to say and equally ashamed to say that much of the world, if asked the question of who is America in this text, would argue that we are the Egyptians. Many are the global narratives that do not speak very highly of us as a nation. Many are the people whose, many are the people whose 
perspective of history does not see us as the hero of the story. Many are the narratives told that put us in the seat of Pharaoh. Depending on who you ask, we are not the good guys. I say this not to disparage anyone or to disrespect anyone's view of country, but might I submit to you all that God is a God of people. He says in the text, my people of Israel, but he refers to Egypt as a nation. God is a God of people, not of nations. Because when nations go to war, people always lose. God is the God of people. God is the God of the undocumented person that through various toils has come across the border from Mexico to America, solely in search of a better life for what all, it's only in search of the thing that all of us want, a better life for ourselves and the people that we love. God is the God of people. God is the God of those in Yemen who have experienced all types of war crimes and atrocities and civil wars, who many would argue are at the hands of US drone strikes. And we can sit here and debate all day long the geopolitics of why certain acts may or may not be necessary. And yet, we have to understand that God is a God of people, not nations. And when we say God bless America, I understand that though our hearts mean well, we must understand that the rest of the world sees that as an, as an antithesis to God blessing them. We must be very careful with language such as God bless America because we can, it cannot exist in a place that says God does not bless others. If God is blessing America, then God is blessing Yemen, and God is blessing Sudan, and God is blessing Saudi Arabia, and God is blessing Iran and Iraq and every other sovereign state, nation, country within Africa and throughout the utmost parts of the world. We must be very careful that the historical narrative and the truths therein are reflecting how we are reading the scriptures, how we are seeing ourselves in the scriptures, and how we are communing with God. And I say this as channeling the spirit of Frederick Douglass as one who, when he gave his oration, understood that the task that he was asked to do, the America that he was asked to speak highly of, he could not, because while he was a man beset with gloom, he also was a man at the intersection of two very different worlds. He was a free black man in America, experiencing many of the privileges of freedom. But what is freedom if your brothers and sisters are still bound? And I submit to you all today, just as I encourage myself to never grow, to never grow forgetful of, is the fact that freedom cannot exist in the individual. Freedom cannot exist in the singular. Freedom is a global act. Freedom is a communal act. And might I submit that where one of us is bound, none of us can ever fully be free. We understand that God is a God of freedom. God is a God of people and not nations. But might I submit to you all today that God is a God of action. And the action of freeing people is never rooted from the duty that comes with freedom to go free others. 
we in America celebrate so many freedoms. I, in my, in my current field of work in crisis management, see things that many people in this room on a daily basis cannot imagine the atrocity of. I see horrors perpetrated from one human being to another, the likes of which many of us would not believe and have been relegated in the most of our consciousness to movies and books. But for the people that live in the communities that I work with and serve, that is their everyday life. No chains are not present, but it's definitely bondage all the same. People who do not have access to adequate health care, people who do not have the basic mental health resources that they need, people who live in food deserts and cannot get live produce and cannot get the physical nourishment to sustain their bodies for the best form of wellness. We live in a world where throughout the year of 2020, domestic violence saw its highest levels in decades. We live in a world where people who the rest of the world discarded is non-essential, had to come to the rescue of all of us. And today, they're still having to debate being paid $15 an hour, as though their sacrifices in their lives are not worth far more than that. Internationally, every year, roughly, and this is a conservative estimate, 660 to 800,000 people become victims of human trafficking globally. Very much a form of slavery. And today, in America, most of us are primed to go home, get on the grill, turn on the stereo, and celebrate freedom as though the rest of the world has access to it as well. That troubled me this week. And I do not say that as something that you all are doing. I say that as something that I am dealing with because that is how I was going to go home and spend the holiday as well. Might I submit to you all today that God did not free us to stand idly by while the rest of the world deals with matters that are not fit for human beings. No, America is not the savior of the world. God is. But God did not free us so that we could stand in dereliction of duty to the things that God called us to. When God gave Adam and Eve freedom, God also gave them responsibility and tasks to complete. When God emancipated, uh, when God emancipated Moses from what should have been the punishment of death, Moses got to live the good life in Midian. Moses got to live his best life free of responsibility for over 40 years. But when God came back to him, there was a charge that came with his freedom. And that is that he go set liberty and proclaim a recovery of sight to the, to the blind, go set the captives free in Egypt. And Moses, like Frederick Douglass, is also a man who sits between two worlds. He has Israel, Israelite blood flowing through his veins, but he also understands the wonder and the splendor and the privileges of the palace because he speaks the language of the Egyptians. They are, he is recognized as one of their own. And might I submit today that Moses understood that his ministry, his clarion call from God in this particular passage of text, much like Frederick Douglass did, much like we must today, is to understand that freedom does not happen in a vacuum. Freedom is not simply a thing we are given so that we can go about experiencing all of the niceties and pleasantries of the world, but freedom 
is a divine responsibility. Freedom is not a gift that is granted to us, but freedom is a duty that is bestowed upon us. For as I have said, where one of us is bound, none of us can ever be free. So as I prepare to take my seat today, I'd like to submit to you all today to ask yourselves to search your own souls, to speak with God in moments private and corporate, and ask yourself, what have I done with my freedom? Amen.